0: Think of the difference between an iPhone video and a Sundance film. Camera audio versus a studio track. A novice or someone with experience. Sure, each has their place, but which will have maximum impact? Summer Shower Productions, a black-owned, woman-owned production company built to create valuable and inspirational content for you. Whether it's a promotional video, a short film, interviews, event photography or utilizing our extensive editing and post-production tools to take your already captured content to the next level we always bring creativity integrity and passion to every project we produce so consider some of Productions reductions for your next project let's build something great together
1: What's going on, folks? It's your boy again, Dr. John Thomas here, back in the building. I just want to remind you that we are doing a special event for Black History Month. We are doing the BMT for BLM, Be More Today for Black Lives Matter. We have joined with the ASALH, the Association for the Study of African American Life and History. Established in nineteen fifteen, they are the founders of Black History Month. And for the month of February, we're doing a fundraiser run from February first to February twenty eighth. Every single day, you can run a four mile run with us virtually or in person on february 21st ten dollars will go directly towards the asalh to continue to help them educate us about our history about our family about our culture Uh, you can also donate more if you don't want to do the race at all or donate more if you are running the race but from february 1st until the 28th we'll be doing this fundraiser run for them running together virtually or in person in brooklyn on the 21st. See for more details and sign up today. Thank you so much for joining us with Black History Month, and let's continue to be great. Our ancestors are great. Our history is great. Let's continue to share that with the rest of the world. Peace.
2: What's going on, folks? It's your boy again, back in the building. Dr. Sean Thomas here with episode 47 of the Be More Today show. We're back, we're back, we're back in the building, and it's still Black History month, and I'm so happy to be here with you. Folks, we've been doing uh, great this month. I bring on some all-star guests, and today is no different. But as always, I want to just let you know that Be More Today is moving, and it's a movement, right? Be More Today show is now heard in 32 countries, so thank you so much for your love and support. Uh, please subscribe to the show. We love sharing our inspiration with you um, and our workouts with you on YouTube. The book is on our Be More Today page, BeMoreTodayBook.com. Uh, so please go out there and follow us. We're still putting up workouts every single week in conjunction with Spartan Sundays. So uh, we're trying to keep y'all moving. That's been our whole goal for Be More Today. So just always ask that you go on there, like our pages, subscribe to the YouTube page, and just continue to show us love as we continue to give you love uh, on all major platforms. As always, folks, we're still doing this run. The b More today, the BMT for BLM run, February 21st. Uh, We're trying to raise $1,000 for the ASALH, Association for the Study of African American Life and History. And we're putting out uh, information about this virtual run that you can do basically anytime between the 1st and the 28th of this month. We're going to meet together on the 21st and gather for this race together. So uh, that's our give back for Black History Month. And if you want to join us in any capacity or you want to run virtually, please go on the site, donate, join us and continue to keep moving as always. Our quotation for today is very, very simple. and It's by Booker T. Washington. And it says success is to be measured not so much by the position that one has reached in life as by the obstacles which he has overcome while trying to succeed. Uh, it's all about the process. And I talk about this in every single show, right? Everything is about the process. We as people of color, as we're a Black home business, have been through our own uh, set of challenges. And, uh, you know, it, it's hard for us to look back and see all the things that we've been through, but we have to do those things to see where we're going. Obstacles make each of us stronger. And I don't know anyone who's been successful automatically without having some kind of obstacle in their way. And if they have been successful, it's usually because they were given that success. They didn't really earn it. And we've seen people be given success and not really have any ground to stand on when times get hard, when things really start moving, when the rubber really hits the road, right? They really can't function properly because they haven't been through that grit, that grind to go through the process to be ready for when things get hard. Uh, as people of color, we, we've been there. We've, we've done that. We know how it is. So we we can take anything because we've already been tried in the fire. And I don't know about you guys this week, but I just hope that you continue to push forward, uh, continue to, as my guest is going to talk about, resist, redeem, reclaim, and renew your life. Um, we have a great heritage. And I use this month to really look at uh, our history and see where we come from and get excited at where we're going, the new administration. um just the future is bright for us as people of color, as people who have been tried in the fire for years on end. And I just look forward to a brighter day. Um, I just recently watched a documentary on Sam Cook and looking at his life and just seeing how amazing we as people of color have been and continue to be. Uh, we can do anything. There's nothing that we cannot do. So whenever you feel like the obstacles are getting in your way, Uh, Don't look at those things. Don't think about the things that you've been through, but just think about the times you're getting over those things to push forward towards success. That's my charge for you this week and this this month as we continue to celebrate Black history. uh, Recognize the legacy that you're a part of. It's a great legacy uh, filled with so many people who uh, have contributed to our history of of America and even the world uh, to make it a better place. And you're in that. You're in that. You're a part of that. So be proud. Be proud. And for those of you who uh, want to continue to celebrate legacy with us, um, we're going to have on more people for the show who will continue to embrace that legacy. And today, my guest is no different. Uh, Dr. Jamie Kalasar is the embodiment of that legacy, empowerment, community. Uh, He's that guy. And there are four words, as I said before, that the Kalasar lives by. Resist, redeem, reclaim and renew. And he uses his knowledge, experience, and passion to lead workshops and training sessions at various churches, schools, and businesses on how to develop and implement a sustainable ministry that speaks to the spiritual and social conditions in our world. Dr. Kalasar has relentlessly pursued community activism and involvement, challenging the church to heed the call of Christ to be relevant and present in the lives of those in need, as a native New Yorker and the transplant to the South. Jamie Colliser has seen and experienced a range of injustices and believes it is the call of God's church to be his hands and feet in the earth to make the crooked paths straight. Being a voice for the communities he serves has compelled him to become a student of people and the scriptures. He has an undergraduate degree in theology from Atlanta Union College, a master's of divinity from Andrews University, and a doctorate of ministry degree from United Theological Seminary, and is currently working on his PhD in public policy and social change. Dr. Collison serves as the senior pastor of Dallas City Temple, a congregation that gathers at the doorstep of injustice in the heart of southern Dallas. As pastor, he leads in the effort to fight inequality by joining with community and local church leaders to implement strategies that improve the economic, educational, and spiritual conditions in the Cedar Crest community. He works with the Clergy Table for Faith in Texas, which leads and appoints a diverse band of clergy, Catholics, Muslims, Jews, and Christians, to fight against injustice. His thoughts can be read as an op-ed writer for the Dallas Morning News and a frequent contributor to books and publications on race, equality, and social justice. He's also the author of Justice, or Just Us, sermons and reflections on the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, and how to put the neighbor back in the hood. Dr. Kalisar has been married to lover's life, Carlene, since 2008. Together, they have two daughters, Caitlin and Amber. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, pets included, please welcome to the stage, my brother, my NYC friend, now in Dallas, Texas, Dr. Jamie Kalisar. Dr. Jamie Kalisar, what is going on?
3: Hey, man, I'm good, man. I'm glad to be above ground and just living life, man. I'm cool. Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time out. I
2: know you're busy. Uh, I thought I was busy, but you, sir, are busy. And um, <laughs> I just wanted to say thank you for joining me on the Be More Today's show, episode 47. Uh, wow. And, you know, you and I, uh, we have an interesting relationship. I, I've seen you for years in various places. Um, you know, back when you were in New York, you were here with us. Clearly, I saw you at various churches and Cantonese and what have you. Uh, you've seen us perform, or me perform when I used to dance back in the day, yeah. and then I know you moved. And yeah. you know, I, I, I'm just—I've been following you and your journey, and you've been doing a lot of great work down in Texas. So I just want to applaud you, and I had to have you on the show Black History Month. You're one of the people who I look to as someone who is is putting in the work and and really living behind what they talk about. So um, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it.
3: Man, thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I remember uh, we had like a brief meeting when it came to like Youth Federation. remember meeting at the conference office and then seeing you at Kingsborough and various places. Yeah, yeah, man. It's good stuff. Good stuff to see where you are now, man. I'm, I'm following you too and enjoying all the stuff that you're doing.
2: I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So let's get into it, Doc. Um, I know you're busy, but I want to just do a little quick quarantine check in like I do for everybody. I just want to know how you and your family are doing during this crazy year of 2020. And now that we're in 2021, how are you? How's the family and how is life?
3: man, the family is doing great. Uh, you know, I always say my kids are doing better than me. They get uh, eight hours of sleep, three meals a day. They're healthy. My wife is healthy. So, and then also not just physically, but mentally, um, you know, we're, we're, we're healthy and we're doing great. I just, I just, you know, I love the, uh, I hate the fact of what COVID is doing to, you know, to people and to families, but I just love being able to be with my family and appreciate them and enjoy them. So yeah, we've been good. We've been good. Good.
2: Good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, so I, you, listen, your your bio is, in, is insane. There's just so many things that are happening and you're a, a pastor, but you're also, you're just so much more than that. And I kind of want to talk about that, but I want to start off first talking about your hashtag. On Instagram, the new Negro. Yeah, uh, yeah. Why? What? Who? Where? Talk to me about the new Negro. Why is that your hashtag for
3: for social media? So, man. So, all right. So, I'm not the like the the, the creator of that moniker, right? So, um, I'm t- I was taking this class called. I'm trying to remember the name of the class. I think it was called Pragmatism and Social Justice or something like that. But I know it had pragmatism in them. And I was introduced to this author named Alan Locke. And Alan Locke is a contemporary of Du Bois during the whole Harlem Renaissance. Apparently he, I don't know, he doesn't get as much um you know, popularity as the Du Bois, the Langston Hughes, all those others, but he was a great philosopher. And he coined this term, the new Negro, right? Like redefining what it means to be Black, what it means to be Black in America. And I just gravitated to that, like, yo, that's so dope. So that's why, like, I... I use that, you know, that 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 tagline or that title on my Instagram or whatever I do, because I do feel like every day I'm redefining what it means to be black or, you know, and then or just in my own definition of what blackness is, not what the media or society has told us about ourselves. But, yeah, this is it. So that's where I got it from. And I just uh, just gravitated to it.
2: Yeah, no, I've I, I definitely heard it before and I and I saw it on your page, I said, you know what, yes, I, I remember, I've seen this in multiple uh, areas, people posting this this and coining this phrase, but I do think it is very poignant, especially during this time where we're we re, re, redefining who we look like, you know, what we look like, who we are um, as people of color, as men uh, of mm-hmm. color, um, you know, even you and I together, you know, two doctors on, on a chat, you know, when people think about doctors, we're not the first people that come to mind in terms of color, in terms of status, those kind of things. So uh, it is new. It is new. And I think it, it defines who we as a people are going to be in the future. Um, and I think it's, I think it's great. I think it's, yeah. I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing on so many levels. Yeah. Um, and, and I know you also have that man. I've been doing a lot of research on you and looking at your websites and all the work you've been doing in the community. Um, this tagline, resist, redeem, reclaim, and renew, right? Which is powerful in so many levels. And I know it could probably be a sermon by itself, but what mm-hmm. is this theme that that you embody right now with the four R's, resist, yeah. renew? Yeah,
3: thank you. Thank you for that question. So with those four R's, and I'll just unpack them, resist, right? And I get that from just my biblical training and my community training too, to resist, the empire i would say but to resist the uh the, the 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 passions or the the allure that this world has to offer right and you know as uh believers in god you know god is countercultural to our society so we have to resist the temptation that's the word the temptation to be like the world right so we resist and as we resist that temptation we're called to redeem others like we're called to bring people out of Whatever pit they may be, and whatever dark hole they may be, and whatever situation they may be, and so as we redeem them from that, we reclaim them um, to all our lost brothers and sisters who have been victimized by, uh, you know, society, by bad public policy, um, just by sin and deprivation. We reclaim them. We let them know we love them and that we we are with them on this journey. And then after that, we renew them. Right? We. We renew them so that they become new people, um, better people, and not just renewing them so that they become better selfish people. We renew them in a sense where they become better people to help others as well. So they repeat the cycle. Right. So after we redeem, we reclaim and um, uh, resist, redeem, reclaim and renew, we want them to go and do that for others as well so that the cycle continues and that we don't become selfish people. So, yeah, I've just been living by those four R's and, you know, trying to make that a part of my nonprofit as well and to continue doing that work.
2: That's, that's great. Talk to me about your nonprofit. I said so people know what we're talking about.
3: Yeah, I started a nonprofit last year called Raise Your Voice. Still trying to get it up and moving in the way I would like to. But the, the, the basis of the nonprofit is using art to to uh to to reclaim our narratives right and so whether encouraging young people whether it's to do poetry rap sing dance cook whatever forms of art that they use and use that to tell their stories i think you know the thing about art is so interesting that everybody is born an artist right when the moment you come out from a child you are an artist But as you get older, the trouble is staying one because most people will talk you out of doing art. And it's interesting, right? They'll say, don't do art, but then we'll go on Instagram or we'll go watch TV or watch sports, which is all art, the way things are done. So I don't want art to die. I want art to live and I want art to be used to inspire others. So, yeah, that's the uh, that's the the basis of it, trying to get young people and get into schools and can you know, develop social justice curriculums uh, using art and poetry and whatever whatever it is that uh, you feel best that you can do.
2: I love it and now is that just based in Texas or
3: yeah it's based in Texas right now um, but we, I want to expand it to bring it to New York to travel even to go um, overseas and you know just just use it there as you I know if you follow me you know I'm a big hip hop head. Like hip hop is just my thing. So, yeah, so I want to continue to do that. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's great because
2: I agree with you. You know, even my, my daughter, she's five, soon to be six, and literally all she does all day is art, right? She comes home with different artwork every day, painting drawings. And I remember doing that kind of stuff. But at some point in time in our development, whether it's the school system or what have you, that gets pushed to the wayside. And yeah. more attention is based on, you know, sciences and the maths and the reading as opposed to the art class, which literally probably is <laughs> seen as one of the, the lower classes in our curriculum when we get into like high school and college and whatnot, um, yeah. even into the credits. So it's, yeah. it's, it's funny how you use and how we use art now therapeutically um, to bring people together. Uh, I know I've used it in my own experiences to really express Um, personal opinions and personal anguish not so much dealing with church stuff but more just like dealing with race and you know what it's like being a black man in america um, Mm -hmm. and not really knowing how to put that in terms where i'm not going to be seen as an angry black person or a black man but using the arts in terms of african dance whatever else to really express my feelings and connect with my culture so i'm all about that um i do think that gets lost and even when you start to cut curriculums they start to cut those things based on Funding, those things are really the thing that are cut first so I think it's a great thing that you're doing especially in Texas yeah
3: yeah you're right man it's the first department that gets cut you know and it's so interesting because even like even the laptop we use if you use an apple or whatever chrome samsung it's art right it's somebody designed that and we but it's so crazy that struggling is always synonymous with art, right? You become a struggling artist. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And, but I, you know, I really want to change that narrative. And one of the things, and I forgot to mention this, that helped me discover that was the black arts movement that during the civil rights, you know, the story of freedom and equality it was helped pushed through the black arts movement through theater and through singing and some great, you know, Nina Simone came out of the black arts movement. Um, uh, 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 County Cullen and uh, all these wonderful jazz artists and all these wonderful things came out of that. So I want to see that continue, that legacy continue to live.
2: Yeah. I just watched a documentary on Sam cook actually this morning, believe it or not. Yes. And uh, it's crazy. Just thinking about how, revolutionary we as people of color have been when it comes to the arts. I mean, literally so much has come, even like you said, arts in terms of what we do on a computer. I was looking at this documentary with with Sam Cooke and Muhammad Ali and how together they were friends and they hit the spectrum from both levels, right? He was in the sports level in terms of artistic movement. Um, Sam was hitting from the musical aspects and together they just had a whole bunch of people who literally pushed this, this civil rights movement and the movement towards redefining, right, Black people, the new Negro, right? That's kind of how our party started, using that same concept to say, you know, we're more than just people who can on a plantation. We're smart. We're funny. We can sing. We can do all these different things respectfully and eloquently. And um, his whole life, I mean, he he was shot and it was a, a mishap shooting. But his whole life was just he was basically like the modern day Quincy Jones. Yeah. Um, he was like the before Quincy Jones was. We had Sam Cooke. So just looking at how we've become as a people, using art, I think is is an amazing way to uh, progress, change, and to push change. So keep doing absolutely. what you do. I think it's fantastic.
3: Absolutely,
2: absolutely. Yeah. Now, do you incorporate any of that with your your church? I know you're the pastor for Dallas Temple. Um, and, you know, in our churches, as you know, um, sometimes artistic things are not always well received. And I, I say that personally, because growing up, you know, depending on what denomination you're from, um, some churches are very, very open to using the arts to do certain things. And some are very uh, uh, fearful, for whatever reason, uh, of, of incorporating artistic anything, art movements, sounds, etc., anything that relates to art. Uh, either African history roots or otherwise into the, into the church realm. Um, What's your experience now working at Dallas temple or working just in Dallas period? And are you incorporating any of these artistic movements and outreaches to your congregation down there?
3: Yeah. Great, great question. Um, So I would say recently we, I have um, in the eight years that I've been there, no, but you know, maybe I have, um, and now that now you're forcing me to identify it. But I would say this: that I'm always including um, lyrics in all of my sermons, right? And bridging the gap to showing how, hey, look, how this song speaks to what's going on, right? Matter of fact, what's going on, Marvin Gaye, right? I just preached a sermon um, called "What's Going On." I had another one called "Makes Me Want to Holler." It's interesting how the members of the church gravitate to that, seeing how I can bridge both worlds. In the recent years, I'd say last year, I was able to do a program called uh, Church in the Wild, and kind of use a subtitle of Praise and Protest, where we gathered, myself and um, another gentleman named Edwin Robinson helped me put this together, we gathered some local artists together, and we allowed them to use songs that they've written, um, and Poetry that they've done to in front in a rally in front of City Hall to talk about some of the demands that they want to see manifested uh, through City Council, right? So that's defund the police and things like that. So, yes, I have uh, shut down Sabbath service. Even though we were in a pandemic, we didn't do our usual streaming. And we told everybody to come out downtown to City Hall, and we're going to uh, make our faith. Uh, visible, right? Not just be inside of our houses, but we'll come out, mask up. And it was beautiful to see um, so many people who are enjoying listening to the art. And then we were still able to communicate why we're here and what the bigger picture is. Um, I want to continue to start to do more things like that and to incorporate more of it. But yeah, that was like the first program um, that I've hosted with Raise Your Voice and using art and artists and another thing too why I was glad to do that was that the artists all did not come from the congregation it was they were from the community some from the church and some from the community and it was a great marriage. Hmm.
2: Yeah I love that stuff I love the combination of community and church together um, and I, I love seeing art you know I, I've done Uh, For Black History Month, for the last 80 or so years, I've always put on a program, and Mm -hmm. it always had some kind of um, um, issue with someone at church about it, right? Because I would bring in some Nina Simone song for a play we were doing, or a Fela Kuti song, or all these different people who were part of our history, part of our culture. But, you know, not the the songs you would think about when you think about a church uh, Black History Month program. But yeah. the program was always a hit because it really looked at our history and it just linked the things that we don't really talk about in the community to what we're actually probably experiencing in our churches. And um, I just think it's funny how we don't really get a chance to surely and truly see the connections between our, our past and our present until things like Black History Month come up. And I just hope we yeah. can get more of those things moving forward, you know?
3: Yeah, I agree. And that's one of my um pet peeves about the church, you know, in our church, we share the same denomination is how instrumental they have been in divorcing us from our history. And not only divorcing us from it, is that whenever someone like you brings dance or art into the church, we're the first ones to reject it and deny it, you know, and then, but if we, if you were to play a Beethoven classical piece or, um, you know, or some other something that's not akin to black people. It, it's what it's almost sometimes weird welcomed, right? And then applauded, like, oh, that's wonderful. Um, and those are those are some things that I've raised my voice about um, about how quick we are to reject our own humanity to accept somebody else's humanity, and it saddens me um, that that's usually the case. But you know, my encouragement to you is keep on doing it. Uh, bring the Alvin Ailey dance theater up in the front of the church. <laughs> you know. And if they don't want it, then bring it to the streets, because I've noticed that the streets have been more receptive to culture and to us than, unfortunately, the church has been.
2: Mm, mm. I appreciate those words appreciate, very much. So thank you so much. Um, talk to me a little bit about this clergy table of faith. Uh, what is this group about, and how do you, how do they function? Uh, I mean, you're in Texas, so mm-hmm. I'm very curious how this group functions together, um, and how it's going to be functioning now in the new administration. Yeah,
3: yeah. So it's great. Um, I'm part of two organizations, right, that belong to clergy, and interestingly enough, I'm the only Adventist. At both of these organizations, so the clergy table um, that you refer to is uh, a, a, I guess a, a an umbrella underneath Faith in Texas, which belongs to a larger nonprofit organization called Faith in Action. So Faith in Texas, and they have they have Faith in New York, Faith in L.A. They're all over the the states. Faith in Texas, um, their push is for policy change. And they see that the only way that we can encourage policy change or one of the ways to do it is to um, galvanize churches and pastors to get involved in the work. So I sat on, I was the chair of it at one time and then I sat on the committee that helps get churches and pastors involved in doing advocacy work through Faith in Texas. Now there's another organization that I belong to. It's called the Dallas Black Clergy, um, in which I'm the only Adventist on that one as well. And that one pretty much does the same thing, but we we focus only on Black clergy. Faith in Texas is multi-ethnic, you know, multi-race, uh, black, white, and also multi-faith um, rabbis. Uh, you know, anybody under the Abrahamic that believes in the Abrahamic tradition. And so the Dallas Black clergy and clergy in Texas, we just sit down together and we work on what are strategic moves that we need to do in order to push uh, the social justice agenda in Dallas. So some of the things that we worked on was earn paid sick leave. Uh, You know, if you called in sick, Dallas, Dallas employers just didn't pay you, you know, and we said that that's unjust. So we were able to get that passed. We were able to get the Citizens Police Review Board funding for that passed, and um, we're working on affordable housing at the moment. So yeah, that's some of the work that I do outside of the church um, that I find fulfillment and enjoyment just being able to put my faith into practice and to help people that necessarily will never come to my church. But as long as I know that they can live life more abundantly, I'm Gucci. Mm.
2: that's why i love you jamie i know when i first met you we connected on various levels but i always had a sense that you were someone who lived what you said Mm -hmm. and it wasn't just like lip service it wasn't just you you know just putting on a show like you really lived what you said and um it was genuine. You know, there's, there's some people, and it's not just about past in general, but it's about anyone who's in any profession, right? Doctor, lawyer, teacher, what have you. You can kind of see through people sometimes. And uh, you can't, you're everything that you talk about, you do. Everything that you preach about, I, I see you putting that into your community work down there, um, your family work. I mean, I've, I've seen you and your, your wife have their own little podcast thing going on. You're, you're, you're connecting with your your spouse on that level as well. So you're just hitting on, on so many levels. I was really impressed by that. Uh, in addition to that, I know you have two books that you mm-hmm. wrote. And I wanted you just to share with with the viewers what these two books are about.
3: Yeah. So, uh, thank you. I wrote, don't leave the neighbor out of the hood. So it's kind of like putting the word neighbor back in the hood. And that's my dissertation, um, my doctorate in ministry. And that book is basically a manual that I have, that I've done at city temple. Um, and that I am would like to share with other pastors. And so I walk individuals through why we don't have social justice ministries, uh, why we need social justice ministries, and how to do a social justice ministry. So I go through biblical, I use two biblical examples. Um, One, Nehemiah, uh, for those churches that most of us go to where we commute into the neighborhood and we actually are not living there. And I show how Nehemiah did not live um, in Jerusalem where the walls were destroyed, but yet still he felt like he had to go to a work there to rebuild it. And then the other example is Jesus, who was from the hood, Nazareth, and the Bible says that he goes into the temple. So he's somebody who lives there, but still does constructive work mm-hmm. in his opening message to you know set the captives free and to restore sight to the blind, social justice work. So I use those two examples to prove my thesis And that this is why we need it. This is how we do it. And this is why you should do it. So that's the first book. The other book is more of a devotional. It's called Justice or Just Us. And those are just various sermons that I've preached on social justice issues. It has a, it has discussion questions at the end of each chapter and a prayer at the end of, um, a discussion questions and a prayer at the end of each chapter. So you can use it in a small group setting you can use it as a devotional, um, however you want to use it. And so I just put those two out. But I am working on uh, something else, something bigger, um, as I'm doing my Ph.D. right now. And I'm hoping maybe within the next five years that I can present that to the world and and then it can be a contribution.
2: That's great. You know, I, I, I'm i a new author myself, um, but you have great. Two and a half have us coming out, so I'm really impressed with that. And you know, I think that the social justice piece is powerful, clearly, because our churches in general, most churches in general, mm-hmm. um, before the Black Lives Matter movement, and even you talking about before that, have been involved in it, but haven't really been committed to the movement. And I know you've done a number of things um, with various groups, um, Adventist for Social Justice and other groups related to that. Um last question before the break, why do you think it's so hard for churches in general, right? And I I say church in general, because we're just talking about that context right now. But Mm. you just gave two examples, Nehemiah and Jesus, and how they um, were people who were from certain situations, but were were reaching out to everyone, trying to unify. Um, Why is it so hard for Christians, or us as people, believers, etc., to wanna to be involved in social justice. Why is it so hard for us to have the conversation in our churches and churches that are supposed to be again founded on the premise of love and giving and being a shelter for those who need sheltering for the homeless and you know all these different things that we talk about every single day and preach about and read about and have our devotions about. But when it comes to practice, you know the numbers are few and the fight or the resistance is heavy. Why is that? Do you think, when it comes to uh, most churches in general?
3: Yeah, great questions. Because I think that you know, in my studies and, um, and 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 in my book, you know, the subtitle is the Miseducation of the Seventh Day Adventists. And and I'm glad you said churches, right? And we're not just talking about the Adventist Church. Other denominations have the same problem too. I think it goes back to just having a Eurocentric theology of who God is and what God cares about. That one of the things that I've discovered is that we tend to separate our theology from our humanity. And what I mean by that is, or even Jesus, right? We separate what Jesus came to do from his actual sociology or his anthropology in the sense that we don't look at the fact that he was homeless. We don't look at the fact that he was poor. We don't look at the fact that he lived under Roman oppression. And a lot of things that he did was counter to that oppression, you know, healing people on the Sabbath. And they said, even pharisaic oppression, right? Um, you know, render unto Caesar what a Caesar the taxes that they had to pay. And I think what we have been taught as black Adventists as black believers is that we need to focus more on getting to heaven and then actually doing the work down here so that people can live life abundantly. So, for example, we'll, um, you know, we'll see uh, uh, gentrification and we'll just say, oh, these things are supposed to happen because this is what the Bible says. Let's just wait till we get to heaven. God's going to fix everything. We'll see homeless population increasing. And we need to know and understand that that's not what Jesus taught or what God teaches in the scripture. He's very explicit about um. You know workplace exploitation. He's very explicit about uh, you know um, uh, seeking the rights of the poor, defending the fatherless, defending the orphans, defending the widows. God is very explicit about justice. And I'll I'll close on this statement because I was sharing this yesterday. That when we read Matthew twenty four, we always read about you know when the disciples say, "How will we know when the end will come?" And Jesus starts off by saying. Uh, famines and pestilences and wars and rumors of wars and things like that. And then we don't read further down. He says, naked and you did not clothe me. Hungry, you didn't feed me. I was sick and you didn't. And It's interesting that we don't include that in our last day events message, right? Mm-hmm. We just look at the wars and the rumors of wars. And you and I know that if we're ever doing public speaking or we're preaching, that we always save our most important point as the last point. And Jesus' last point was You didn't do this for the least of these. You didn't do it to me. And then he says, "Depart from me, I know thee not." In other words, there's a lake of fire for you. So, regardless of all the wars and rumors of wars and all that stuff that we hear and that we think about, Jesus' most important point was: you need to be doing service to those that are marginalized. And it boggles me that in our fundamental beliefs, that there is no fundamental belief about justice. There's no fundamental belief about. equality or equity, but it's all about do's and don'ts. I mean, don'ts, 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 but not about the doing, the work of social justice. So I think it's our warped theology that we got from Eurocentrism. Mm,
2: mm, That's powerful. And, you know, I just wanted to add, you know, my wife's a criminal defense attorney. And um, whenever we talk, when I first met her, she was so um, curious that so many people that she met in the church were prosecutorial in their mindset, right, they were very much like, well, this person did that, they're a criminal. They're this, they're that, they're bad, they're this. Bad people, bad people. And just the the verbiage that they used was all just prosecutorial in in nature. And she said, wow, it's so interesting that a group of people who believe in this concept of Christ, this person who did all these things, was a forgiver of all these sins, uh, was the one who, again, was the one who brought people together and was so forgiving the one that we're supposed to be like as well, but when it comes to looking at someone who does something wrong or someone who gets arrested for something or someone who's prosecuted with something, our initial response is they're bad, they're Correct. criminal, those people. And, and even her criminal defense work, people always questioned her and said, how could you defend someone who does this and does that? And yeah. she responded, well, I'm new to this Christian thing, but isn't that what Jesus did? Isn't that what Christ did? Isn't that the whole point of Christianity? So it's just funny how we use those same things when we want to use them for our benefit, but not when we don't want to hear it when it comes to things that we think are a a threat to us.
3: Yeah, great point. And let's not deny the fact that, you know, at the trial of Jesus Christ, a lot of us would have been on the side that says crucify him because that's how we think. He's a criminal. He's a bad person. We would not like Jesus very much. Well, number one, he wouldn't come to our churches. I'm, I believe that. Hey, you look at the Bible, every time he went to the church, they try to kill him. And I think that he would come in with such a counter-revolutionary message. We would be like, nah, this brother got to go. He needs to leave. He he, he could, He's just messing things up. And you see where Jesus hung out. He spent most of his time outside of the temple than inside. Yep. And that, that, that need we need to Analyze that. We need to focus on that. And we need to really think about how do we think about what are the false narratives we've bought into about the poor, about those that have marginalized. And, you know, a lot of things that we've been taught is that they want to be poor or they committed crime because uh, they're just bad people. Well, sometimes you can't judge a person's choices if you don't look at their options. Right. And a person's options will push them to do certain things just for survival.
0: Right
2: very true very true
0: have you ever felt like god forgot about you turned his back on you stop picking up his phone take this ride with me let's work I almost lost my life to depression And my spiritual man became restless I started eating what I was rejecting Fighting with God like Jacob when he was wrestling I got distracted from what I was destined God and camp angels around me for my protection No longer will I be fighting my blessings If you allow me to live through it then it's a lesson Lord I pray that my sins don't kill me Lord I pray that your will only build me and I can only cry out from my soul. I was blind like Saul was on the Road. Take the scales off my eyes so I can see. Women, Jeff, Ray, Charles, Stevie. My build-ups is never a hundred stories. Unless I'm reaching for your glories. Facts. As I kneel on one knee. I just want to be who you call me to be. Cause you ain't bring me this finally, man. You ain't bring me this finally. Lost my mind But grace won't get me only way to come to God, it is by faith, he may not come when you want him but he never laid in Christ you ain't gotta worry about overweight God'll never put more than you can eat on your plate, cause when it come to winning souls, I do not play, this preacher don't switch sides, I am not mace I give it to you straight when I relate, I'm not perfect, I'm just a sinner saved by his grace and the devil, he'll give it to you sweet, to take your mind off the goal which is outreach, when it come to your presence, do not leave life Is this garden and the devil still deceiving I got young boys Dying on these streets Don't have time to entertain no rap beat I won't stop preaching Christ Till the job done, running out of time I spin it faster than big pun As I kneel on one knee I just wanna be who you call me to be Cause you ain't bring me This far to leave me You ain't bring me this far to leave me Lord I almost lost my mind But grace won't get me through this far to leave me You ain't bring me this far to leave me here I am not weak I am not defeat I am not cheap Lord speak You ain't bring me this far to leave me You ain't bring me this far to leave me I got faith I'm covered in your grace I'ma seek your face Everyday I pray You ain't bring me this far to leave me You ain't bring me this far to leave me As I kneel. Away, this fire to leave me. Lord, I almost lost my mind, but grace for
2: Just joining us folks, episode 47. I'm here with Dr. Jamie Kalisari, senior pastor of Dallas City Temple, uh, author of two books, uh, runner of the nonprofit Raise Your Voice, and he is uh rep in New York, but also Dallas right now. And Jamie, I got some quick fire questions for you before I let you go. I yeah. know you're married, I know you're a father of two, um, and you live in Texas, and which is not New York at all, but it's it's home. How do you feel about the new administration? Um, And what do you tell your daughters um, as a father of two daughters um, about what uh, they're seeing or what you're seeing happening in America right now?
3: Yeah. So I feel good. I feel great about the new administration. I'm not putting all my hope in it. I still think that the fight is um, in the streets on the local level. But, um, you know, just to say that I told my daughters this, that on when when uh, on, on election day, when Biden won, I said that evil never prevails. That you can't do, say bad things about people. You can't treat people unfairly and expect to win and expect to always stay on the top. That righteousness and justice and love and mercy always prevails. And that the way you treat people will determine and dictate how far you will go in life. So that was a great life lesson for my daughters that I was able to, um, to explain to them.
2: Yeah, I, I did the same for my daughter. I mean, my daughter's only five, gonna be six soon. But when Joe Biden won, she said, Daddy, Daddy, the good guy won. I said, Yeah, yeah that's right. The good guy did win. <laughs> and, you know, Joe Biden right. and, you know, I'm, I'm proud because, you know, Kamala is, you know, oh, half yeah. American, half South Asian, just like my daughter is. So uh, it's it's big for, for me and for her to see someone who looks like her on TV because all she talks about, even at a young age, is you know, daddy, your skin color is darker than mine. And mommy, mommy's skin color is different than yours. And I'm like, yes, you're right. But it's all beautiful. It's all beautiful. So for her to see that... Yeah. Oh, it's just it just it just makes you really feel good inside.
3: Yeah. And I'm so glad you brought Kamala. Now, please forgive me for not bringing her. But my daughter, my oldest one, she just started doing so much research on Kamala. Mm-hmm. She's so uh, like enthralled by her. She's like typing in like where she's from. And all. so that was just empowering in itself to just to just to see on her own that she wants to know more about uh, our first black vice president of the united states so yeah. absolutely yeah that no, was big time it's big time yeah.
2: um if you could change the world sir in one way to make it a better place what's one thing that you would do
3: i would hope that i can eradicate poverty mm-hmm. and you know that's a big big feat but i think that it can be done um if i were to if, and, and how I would do that is by reaching one person. And, you know, I, I think like I would work towards telling people not to be so transactional in developing relationships, right? Like we build relationships so that we can help people, not so that we can extract or take something from them. So by each one reaching one and teaching that and hopefully we can see a better society.
2: Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. So Jamie, as you know, be more today is my thing. Uh, It's my brand. It's our book. It's what we're trying to do for this year. And um, I've been asking everybody on the show what they think the phrase be more today means to them. You are number 47 on that list. So sir, doctor, sir, Dr. Mm -hmm. Palisar, when you hear the phrase be more today, what does the phrase be more today mean to you?
3: Yeah. Be more today, man. Thank you for that. That's so inspiring. I think for me, when I hear that phrase be more today, it simply means how do I improve on who I was yesterday? How do I push the envelope um, to, 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 to encourage others that they can be more? Like I believe my purpose in life and I believe everybody's purpose in life is to inspire others to be better, to be more. And so when I think about that, I think about, Uh, How do I build on what I've already done? And how do I bring others to the top with me or bring others to the table with me? And so that just encourages me to be more, be better, be wiser, be stronger. And not for myself, but how I can use my privileges to help those that are not as privileged. Mm, mm. What's
2: one thing you want to start doing in this new year, 2021?
3: I want to start dedicating my complete life to um, advocacy and to working with the least of these, uh, to working with the marginalized and the poor, and to helping them see life the way that it should be for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's that's my that's my prayer, that's my dream. And even if that means stepping out of pastoral ministry and putting my all my energy and my work into my nonprofit. And working towards social justice, that's just where I feel the most fulfilled. And I feel the, the, um, the way that I can contribute most to society, but also reflect the life of Jesus Christ. That's, that's my desire for this new year. Mm-hmm. Dr. Collis, are any final tips you want to share about
2: Black History Month, social justice, uh, raise your voice, um, your two books, anything you want to share with listeners now as we as we close?
3: yeah i just want anybody who's listening i hope that this uh interview was inspiring to you i want you to find your passion whatever breaks your heart and go forward and just dive into it and reach others and continue to be the light in darkness Uh, people are waiting for you they're waiting for your voice they're waiting to hear you uh if you want to support and help me with what i'm doing with raise your voice uh, please contact me. Uh, you can get my information from Sean or you can uh, go to my website and you can see it there and you can pull it up. But, you know, we accept the tax-free donations and suggestions. I think that's also valuable as well. And I just, um, I just want to see us continue to keep thriving and, and surviving and reaching to the top. Keep wearing your mask and stay safe, socially distanced. And we'll get we'll, we'll get through this pandemic, but we got to do it together, all on one accord, and just uh, continue to be you and as as the show be more. Mm, mm, well said,
2: folks. Where, where can they follow you? Where can they follow you on social media or otherwise?
3: Yeah, so definitely you can find me on Instagram at Jamie underscore Kowlasar. So that's J A I M E underscore K O W. L E S S A R uh, my website is raiseyourvoice.academy the church i pastor is dallascitytemple.org you can find us on facebook and um yeah you, and, and you can find me on facebook too so uh, those are those are usually the avenues that you can get through to me and you you can find me if you look hard enough you don't have to look hard you'll find me i'm somewhere <laughs>
2: Father Kyle, thank you so much for joining us today. Episode 47 is in the books, and I appreciate you and all your time today. Thank you so much for joining me for the show.
3: Thank you for having me.
2: Thank you for having me. You got a great thing going on. Keep it up. I appreciate that, sir. And just in closing, I want to remind everybody about our quotation from t- today. The beginning quote is from Booker T. Washington saying, success is to be measured not so much by the position that one has reached in life as by the obstacles which he has overcome while trying to succeed. Listen, we have to get through our obstacles together. So keep pushing, like Jamie said, uh, and let's continue to help each other to move forward. All right. That's going to be our charge for this month, Black History Month. And as always, folks, continue to follow us to be more today. Uh, our website is up, as always, and for our book, our music, our podcast information. If you want to send us information uh, or questions about the show, be more today at Let's be more at number two day at gmo.com. You can always check out the Words for Life podcast every single Wednesday, as always. Folks, happy Black History Month. Have a great day. Have a great night. Have a great life and continue. Take your steps to greatness to be the best version of you. Jamie and I both say peace.